my name is Foggy Jack, and I'm the Shock Bazaar Mental Mentalist, and the host of the Foggy Jack Live Podcast. Now, let's head on down to the pumpkin patch for more. No, no. 
Not that I want to get married, believe me. Thank you very, very much, Captain. It's been a pleasure flying with you. My pleasure. Thank you. This is Warren Pack. I'm speaking to you from the Oklahoma City Airport. It is now 3.30 in New York time. 3.30 in the morning at 2.30 Oklahoma City. A few moments ago, the plane from New York landed here. We were about an hour and a half late. But this didn't uh, stop in celebration here. There's a phone going in the background here. I'm standing in the office above the airport. And out in front of me is the airplane in which we arrived, TWA plane. I'm the only one of the party of eight from New York that has landed. Despite the late hours and the late arrival, there's a group of some hundred people that are waiting for us. Only the rest of the quarter-nine time we have to get off the plane. Uh, I was kicked off. There's going to be sort of a Western celebration. They're waiting right now for John to get off the plane. Uh, right in the... Uh, I can see John very faintly through the front of his glass in the cockpit. Uh, I'm just trying to hold on here for a while until we actually get John to come off the plane. Now I think that's what you saw that Morris Taylor and the rest of them are coming down the plane. And here comes John now. It's too bad you can't hear the excitement. I can just see through the glass, and there's a lot of noise down there. And it looks like two Russian boys have grabbed John. They're wearing six suiters, and they've got uh, cowboy hats on and all the usual equipment. And now they're dragging him down through the front of the airport towards the main airport depot, as you call it. And you see these two up there down, and a couple of boys have been treating John a little bit roughly, it looks like. It is Look as though you think it's a joke or not a joke. And now, let me see, they're stopping for a moment. Uh, I can see the, uh, looks down, looks like they've got a rope with them, too. And there's three or four guys dragging John towards the depot. And wait a minute, there's a lot of light down there. Oh, this is something you should be able to see for yourself. We just have cameras here. The two gentlemen or three gentlemen who are taking John towards the airport seem to have been stopped by the good men. The good boys have come out finally. There's a gun duel going on, and right now there are three guys lying dead, supposedly, on the ground. They're taking John now into the airport. He's now been rescued, but uh, he's got to move over here a bit further. There seems to be some kind of a court going on here because John has got a rope around his neck right now. This may be good news for some people back in New York. And uh, let me see now. There's uh, somebody there is dressed as a judge, obviously and the sheriff, and they're having some kind of a mock trial. And uh, that seems to be just about the end of it. There's a lot of cameramen down there, a lot of people bustling around. There's been uh, people here from the various groups, Horizons Unlimited, and uh, some of the OTC people are around. Uh, Norman Colton hasn't gotten into town yet, I don't believe, but uh, it's kind of late. I think they're going to be heading downtown in just a few minutes for... Uh, the motel where we're staying is the Town Park Motel in Oklahoma City. And uh, I think now they're getting ready to get into the cars. And uh, I think that I will have to leave you right now, but I'll just get the microphone out of here with the downtown uh, to see what happens next. Well, you can say what you want, neighbors, but that was a mighty, mighty exciting bit. Uh, I had absolutely no idea uh, what was going to happen. I was interviewing the captain of our plane at the time, and I figured somebody came into the plane. Everybody had uh, gotten off, oh, maybe 10 or 15 minutes prior to the time that somebody came to the 
front of the plane. Where I was interviewing the captain, they said, John, you'll have to come out as soon as possible with a big crowd outside. So I cut the interview short with the captain of the plane. And I got to the top of that uh, stair, that uh, staircase that they have there. And uh, there was a big crowd behind the fence. I understand they had uh, about four or five times that much a couple of hours prior to the time that we arrived there, but we got late. Uh, we arrived late, and so uh, some of them actually had to go to bed. Well, as I got down to the bottom of this, uh, this stairway, uh, two fellas, one from each side, I guess they were the bad men, grabbed me. They were in the Chino, not Chinos, but the Levi's and... Uh, they had the guns, and they started to shoot. And these were real guns. I'm not kidding. These are not cap pistols. Uh, I realized that something was going on because there was a lot of photographers flashing pictures, but it was a rather exciting bit. Now, here's Warren's recap of what happened during the early morning hours of our first day in Oklahoma City. Well, this is Warren Pike again. It's now 9 o'clock Saturday morning, April 18th. And this has been one long night and morning, I might say, and with a lot of dramatic surprises, which we're going to tell you about in a few moments. I'm just a little bit beat. I think everybody else in the whole group is. It's been a long night. It was a long trip. We left New York at 6 15. We got in here at 2 30. Actually, 3 30 in the afternoon. We were in the house looking for the breakfast, and we were going to get on the rest of the day, but something happened. We had dinner at the downtown restaurant. I think it was 6 in the morning, but they were open all night. And a young man came over from the television station, and he wanted to interview John. Well, John was there to work himself, and he turned him over to me. And this fellow has some interesting stories to tell. It seems that he has been stepping into the flight of the so-called prototype model of Otis T. Carr. And uh, he said that the prototype of Otis Driving John and some other people, and we went out. It must have been about how far do you think it was? 
Well, I think we went about, I'd say about eight or nine miles across town. You want to describe how it came up that building what it looked well, like? Well, I'd say this was an experience out of Edgar Allan Poe and out of Edgar Rice Burroughs and out of the whole crew of science fiction writers. This was the wildest thing. It was before dawn and it's just
There were five or six people there, I believe, but we'll just sort of let it go now and switch now to the special warehouse in the city of Oklahoma City and now to John. Well, we're in Oklahoma City, and you can take my word for it, neighbors. It's a nasty, nasty morning. It's 6 o'clock in the morning, just about 30 minutes after the time that uh, we're going to stand up. And we are probably up a while. I have something on tent. We have heard it high and low for the past couple of hours in Oklahoma City for the place where they're assembling the six-foot prototype model of the OT2 circular foil craft. Now, this is the craft that we have been told will possibly be launched this coming Sunday at Frontier City in Oklahoma, which is located on the outskirts of Oklahoma City. It is quite obvious to me that what I am looking at at the present time, actually three sections of the OTC circular craft, that these sections have not been built completely in this factory. Uh, I would say that some of the assembling has been done here. It would be very difficult for me to tell you how this is going to work. Of course, we've heard from Carr that they use the neutron accumulator, whatever that is, but we possibly learn more about that after a little while. I see the base of the prototype model, a three-wheeled base. I see the bottom section of it. I see the top section of it, the lid, and I see a centerpiece. Now I'm going to talk with a Mr. Carini. Mr. Carini is associated with OTC Enterprises. They have about, let me try to make it count here, at the present time I see about 14 men working hard, and I understand that they've been working around the clock. Mr. Carini, will you come over here a moment, please? Uh, I don't know how much information you will reveal to me, but I would like to ask you this. What is this center section uh, in back of you? What, what is that? The center section is the, uh, uh, the power energizing unit of the complete craft. This is where the, uh, the energy is developed that is sent out to power the field coils with which we build up our magnetic force here that are projected around the periphery of the craft. And in the process of building up these fields, we develop some uh, very unique and novel regenerating feedback system, um, a free energy system, a transfer of energy, which comes back from a similar accumulator, which is not very similar to the
Now, as you perhaps would be well aware, this grants us uh, a unit with many, many ramifications. Let me ask you this, Mr. Carini. Uh, I, I don't know if this is a fair question or not, because I know a lot of the equipment here is uh, uh, based on the principles uh, developed by Carr and Tesla, at least as we've been told by Carr that uh, this is how he got his information, was through Tesla. Uh, are these actually magnetiers? Can you tell us that? Yes, these are electromagnetic coils. And they are probably phased and wound in such a way that the relationships of these coils are correlated with the regenerating accumulators and the center accumulator in such a unique way that this system becomes balanced and it becomes an interchange, interchanging system. Uh, and as I say, once it is activated from the center out, it uh, becomes a balanced returning system that uh, becomes a free energized, or in other words, self-energizing. Is this based on the same principle that the plans are uh, based on? that are sold by OTC car enterprises? Yes, precisely. And there are uh, uh, quite uh, vivid, accurate descriptions in these plans and circulars that have been distributed quite widely. Uh, and there are also many variations possible uh, with this system. There are many uh, uh, other types of systems that can be developed from this basic system. Many refinements can be made, which, as I mentioned before, uh, gives us many, many possible ramifications. And uh, uh, we are very fortunate to myself and the people that I am associated with here on this project to have become associated with Mr. Carr to uh, promote these principles and these devices for the benefit of mankind. And we feel that uh, we are all greatly dedicated to this work. We feel that this work is going to be a tremendous uh, revelation to the world, and it's going to be, bring so many wonderful changes that we will all be able to share in. And uh, I'm sure that it is going to be uh, present many wonderful days in the very near future. And of course, the kickoff for the day that's public demonstration which is scheduled for the 19th, as you are aware of. Mr. Kareem, I've been in town for a couple of hours. I haven't had any sleep for about the last 48. I've talked to a lot of people, and a lot of people claim that you'll never even put this up. They tell me that you possibly will bring this out on a truck or some type of vehicle, maybe a, a flat truck, and just display it and say, well, they've had trouble at Cape Canaveral, so friends, don't be too disappointed. Maybe next week we'll be able to launch it. What do you think about that? Well, Lauren John, I would like to say this, uh, that I have never uh, made a statement that I didn't feel in my heart was true or that I knew couldn't be kept at the time it was made. That I myself and my associates would not be a party to this type of action in any manner whatsoever. And that we know... These principles are sound, 
and that they will work. There's no question about it in our minds. How high do you think this will go Sunday if it is on launch, Mr. Carini? It will go as high as we allow it to go. Now, for uh, reasons of uh, uh, being practical and uh, common sense, from a common sense point of view, we are going to have to put a restraining control on the height. And uh, it probably will reach a height of approximately 250 to 400 feet. Is there any possibility that uh, uh, people's lives may be endangered uh, this coming Sunday when this craft is launched? Uh, somebody told me uh, around town here that there's a possibility that uh, a magnet or something may uh, fly out of the uh, aluminum skin that uh, is wrapped around this saucer-shaped craft. Well, as you are aware, Long John, the, uh, the governments of the world who have unlimited finances and resources have made certain statements, and uh, these statements, uh, unfortunately, uh, haven't held true in many cases. Uh, we can make uh, reference to many things that have happened in the past, but uh, just very briefly, we could make reference to many missiles and rockets that have been said to be able to perform in a certain way, but haven't because of malfunctioning parts. Now, nothing is infallible, on John. Uh, you know this. You're all aware of this. We hope and pray that there will be no problems. We are doing everything within our power. Uh, we're going to turn around to us, take all sorts of precautions, without any possible kind of error. We have high confidence that there will be no problems whatsoever in this direction. And uh, we are leaving it in the hands of the Father, and we're sure that you know, the guidance that we have had, that everything will go along as scheduled and planned. Thank you very much, Mr. Carini, and uh, good luck to you, and happy saucer flying this coming Sunday. Thank you very much. This is WOR Radio, your station in New York. Long done with the party line. Uh, one, we've got a couple of people uh, waiting here to be interviewed, and I think that you talked to this gentleman uh, a few minutes ago, so supposing you take it over. All right. And now we're going to be speaking to a young man who's sitting right across here right now, and I see the name is Walter, no, I'm sorry, Hayden Hughes. Hello, Hayden, where are you from? Uh, Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City. Let me see, you represent the Associate Director of Flying Saucer Sighting. We have some planetary intelligence and unidentified flying objects, if I can hardly pronounce. Uh, what is this group? Well, uh, our main purpose is just investigating flying saucer sightings. I see. You had quite a few around here? Uh, you mean sightings or memory? Sightings. <laughs> well, um, February the 20th, Friday night, we had the most sightings we've had. We had eight sightings reported to us. What day was this again? February the 20th. So this year? Friday night. Yeah. And we investigated these sightings out and compiled reports and sent them. We have a technical advisory board. Mm -hmm. And uh, we think we've got something to do and we're waiting for Well, these eight sightings, how many of you feel we have been Well, we've only about 10 or so. Yes, definitely. And what is your name? Uh, my name's Manny. I'm roughly director of the same group. All right, Dan. And we uh, have been out. Yeah, we have my report. It's been out two and possibly a third. Oh. 
You haven't set them all of them in completely. Well, two of them are out of town. We have not had a chance to interview them yet. Now, when you say you rule them out, what happens, what happens to make you rule them out here? Well, um, one sighting, we, uh, it happened again at the same time, same instant. It turned out to be just an ordinary light reflection. And then, um, what was, uh... Well, it was a local TV news man who discovered that his object was a light on top of a water tower. Oh, well, I, I saw one of these coming down south from New York myself. I was on a roof. It looked like something. But tell me, how did you get into this kind of work for other places? Well, uh, it was just a mystery. Flying saucers, where they came from. I wanted to uh, answer this question. And sometimes flying saucers, I think, I can't quote any, but I imagine I set up this close up there. Well, not even the way of our organization, our organization, if the saucer sighting goes unidentified, well, we'll say it's unidentified. If it goes to be a reflected light, we're going to say that it's reflected light. Mm-hmm. And we're planning to publish a publication that will list the, um, our findings and all. Let's find a little bit about Hayden's view. How old are you, Hayden? Uh, I'm 15 years old. And how long have you been interested in this kind of thing? Uh, approximately three and a half years. Uh, you go to school around here? I go to Northwest Clinton High School. Northwest. Uh, when did you first become interested in this subject, uh, UFOs? Well, it started around three and a half years ago. I really didn't do much then except read a magazine article I'd find here and there. Then I got more interested in it and got a copy of a Thomas magazine, Fine Crossing. Yeah. And I started writing a paper on that and sent home a different paper and everything like it. And then, um, I got that about an And then after 
we present all this evidence that we have to our technical advisory board, and they would say, mail it back to us, and then uh, the findings of the more unknown objects, and we send them to a panel of scientific men. And um, then the conclusion of them and our technical advisory board will be published in a publication we're planning on publishing. Tell me, what are you interested in right here today and tomorrow? What do you think is going to happen? Well, uh, I'm interested in about other two colonies where the new energy concept is going to work. You think it will work? Well, my favorite thing is this concept for us. I'm going to take a big cross cross and it'll work. Because they have it. Could it not work? Don't achieve that height if it even goes 50 feet if energy concept works. 
I would suggest that you wait till three and after three. I think that you're going to find tomorrow to be a very interesting historic day. You know, uh, this is a good date. I didn't realize this till a couple of days ago. It's the date that Paul Revere took his ride. Maybe some new history will be made again tomorrow. You know, that's a wonderful line to close on. I wonder if we're being taken for a ride. Thanks very much, Otis T. Carr. <laughs> Well, I don't know. Uh, it really doesn't matter too much. I think that uh, 
what doesn't happen tomorrow will happen some other day. Uh -huh. Have you met Mr. Carr? I have. I met him in New York a year ago. Have you heard him speak on the thirty-three? I think I heard him the very first time he spoke at Pleasanton Convention in Northern California. Uh -huh. What do you think of his ideas? Sir? I think his principle is very sound as to the application, which I take all the time. I don't know. You think he may be a little disappointed tomorrow, possibly? It could be. Uh-huh. Did, uh, uh, getting back to your client's work in the book here, uh, the, uh, the other book, I don't know if this book, Rainbow Hill, but some of the other books, which I haven't mentioned, like Life of Dance, Diane, Over the Threshold, the same case of King Robert Well, that was just one of those things that, uh, was a forging deal, that, and, uh, we've done as a, well, I had some affidavits and tape recordings of this man, he left on Lampa, and I just wove it into a little four-day book. Uh, well, who is Mr. Rapper? Well, he's a man that has been accused of bringing a complete fraud, the uh, Tibetan Lama, who wasn't a Tibetan Lama at all. Oh, yeah. I don't go along with the fraud, but I do say that uh, he alerted us to the fact that we have a third eye and also an aura, which might have to be taken into consideration during this space age. Well, for the benefit of those who might hear this program who don't understand some of these terms, would you perhaps give us a little definition of aura first of all? Well, the aura is one to, uh, to the individual, but the first field is to a spaceship. Yeah. Uh, An electrical charge that is drawn in from a first field of electricity. And do you feel that the aura itself is electric or magnetic? I feel that it is both, uh, both uh, electric and magnetic because it is positive and negative. I see. Well, let us bring Al Lottman into the conversation. Mr. Lottman will now ask a few questions now. Well, then, Ms. Howard, of the possible launching of a spaceship into outer space, is, is that a scientific accomplishment, or do you feel that that will be a metaphysical, a spiritual accomplishment? It will be a definite scientific accomplishment. Well, then, where is the relationship between the Well, there is a, after all, we know that we have a spiritual side. We know that we have a physical side. And as my experience over the years has uh, more or less uh, proven to me, at least, we are reaching toward another dimension. And in that other dimension, what has been spiritual will become physical, and the spiritual will go on to a still higher realm. In other words, it's dimensional. For lack of a word, I call it transdimensional. And well, then, Mr. Carr's principle, which you believe is correct, and I have no reason to assume or state that it is not. Uh, your assumption that it's correct is based upon your background of science, or is it based upon your background of uh, spiritual forces? Well, uh, let me say that uh, uh, as I see it, and I can't say that I'm right, that it is largely intuitional. Uh, so, uh, again, Yes, yeah. sir. I look at the whole thing. It's not only spiritual, but not only spiritual, but a material ascension or crystallization of the spiritual. Yeah. Ms. Howard, again, I'm only pursuing this, not in terms of any doubt of Mr. Carr's exploit or your own intuition. I am just trying to arrive at the thinking of somebody such as yourself. 
and this is definitely a hypothesis, and it isn't necessarily so, what I'm going to say, but if a qualified scientist today, one whose background neither you nor I could dispute, were to say blandly that the scientific principle of this spaceship is impossible, would you still believe in the principle? I would. Definitely so. So with, again, the point that you feel that regardless of the scientific principles involved, you feel that the era or aura, either way that we're now entering, simply uh, precludes any real failure or eventual success. I definitely feel that it will have an eventual success. Now, if I could just interrupt for a question. Uh, Dana, then, uh, I take it that you definitely feel, let me ask you the question, that you feel that the flying sources that we have had reported are definitely space visitors, or? I think some of them are, yes. We on the desert have uh, a little better opportunity to see them at close range than you in New York. Have you seen them at close range? Yes. I mean, Well, I think we ought to call on Hillary, because Hillary's quite an authority on these. Hillary, would you yeah. come in and talk to Ms. Howard about these sightings, possibly? Mr. Lanier is uh, an author and has written many things on the same topic. Hillary? Ms. Howard. Oh, hello, Ms. Howard. Dana Howard. I'm very much fascinated with the cover of your book, Up Rainbow Hill, this image of a tall mountain with a zigzagging road going up to the peak, and these people walking up it with sort of globular forms around their heads, and at the peak of the mountain top, the flying saucers. Uh, is there any connection between this image and Mount Sasser in California? Well, there hadn't been any idea of such a thing when I asked the artist to create such a design, but uh, I would say that it is possible that uh, many of our mountain peaks throughout the country are, you might say, conditioning points or points where the sources might be more prevalent or something like that. I just really don't know. Well, uh, I want to ask you about the sightings that you have had in Seoul, but before that, I would like to get some news from home. Uh, it has been some, has been some years now since I knew a teacher who had used to be an instructor in the Elizabeth School on top of Mount Shasta, and I wonder if you have any words from that school. No, I think you'll find Calvin Gervin has something quite interesting. He photographed something up there very recently. Mm -hmm. uh, Mr. Gervin, I think, will be on later on, possibly. Well, I'll be very happy to talk to him. Now, Miss Howard, could you tell me something about the sightings that you personally have had? Well, the first sighting of any consequence I had in 1952. I saw four saucers in a pragmatic square. And the lines of the square. Well, what I would say is that one is here and one is here in the perfect square. Let us say that. At the four corners of the square. At the four corners. But the four corners, they came down. The came down where the mother ship, below it. And the mother ship, the the lines of the square, running from the smaller craft. Well, the mother ship. And you saw the ship in the California desert. Well, it was over the California desert, and even after I had seen it, I felt well, it couldn't be. But the headlines in the Los Angeles paper verified it this morning, saying 
I can't hardly wait to hear what you are going to be telling Sergeant Taylor. Sergeant Taylor, will you care to continue this line of questioning, which has opened up suddenly into a discussion of teleportation, I would say, to Venus, was it? Am I to understand, uh, Miss Howard, that uh, you have been to Venus through teleportation? Through teleportation. My teleported experience started at the age of five. Would you uh, care to describe what you had uh, seen on Venus? Well, my first first thing that I noticed particularly was color. Color that was so transcendently beautiful that we have no words to describe it here. Are these colors within our spectrum? Uh, I would say not exactly. I mean, the, the, the intensity of color is such that we cannot describe it in any terms of color as we know color. In uh, teleporting yourself to Venus. I did not teleport myself. Or in, let me restate that. Right. Having been teleported to Venus, uh, did you go through a haze prior to uh, the astral body landing on uh, well, Venus? Let me say it this way. I was sitting on a couch, just as I'm sitting here. I felt a decided tingling in my body. And I finally jumped up and went to a window, and my body was in flames. Uh, I mean, flames. And it was extended to the ceiling and extended just for quite a distance. It was a, a, not a, a mechanical orchid flame, about this color. And when it came out of that, it was sort of a, uh, an intensification, such as things like to explain. And I stepped up the door and had a cat. At a distance of about 50 feet away, the cat went up in the air and came down unconscious. I wore that halo, or whatever you want to call it, for a good six months. As a matter of fact, it was very difficult to go out on the street without being stared at. Well, Miss Howard, I'd like to go back to some of the things that you said earlier and ask questions. And my first question is that you made a statement that when Warren Peck asked Uh, travel? No, that's the uh, in, in, in the reading. 
Isn't it also possible then that uh, the books that you happen to uh, uh, use for research might have been printed by someone or written by someone similar to the man who perpetrated the, the hoax of the original Third Eye? Well, that's true, but uh, we have to depend upon something. If we can't depend upon our ancient literature, what are we going to do? Ancient literature could have been uh, written down eventually by uh, taking something from word of mouth. And, and you know that when a story is told from one person to another, that someone adds to or subtracts from. So that in itself may not be true. So I'd like to ask one concluding question. And this has reference to the flying saucers that you reported seeing in the desert. You said that you could actually see the lines of force. Well, let me say this. It was just like, well, as you see it in the sky, just like Fred, one last Fred. It's in reference to this that I wanted to ask the question. Um, have you ever seen barrage balloons? Last the flame lasted for about 15 minutes. But the effect 
of that, which, which I had a picture made at that time, and it showed a force field. It showed a force field around my body. And that force field, you may have recorded me, and it was particularly picked up by a camera. It was actually recorded on the camera? The way I would describe a force field is this. We have a physical body, we have a molecular body, and we have an electronic body. We have low, medium, and high in electricity. We live mostly in the low, we turn on the medium occasionally, and then when we are in high, we turn on the electrical field, which is the force field. It is, it is something that you can find in the Bible. It was the light that saw on the rock of Alaska, and it will find an awesome army of the Buddhists. If a rock of mankind lives on, on uh, a level that is way below what he's capable of living on, and you, say, you think one of the ways of attaining this higher level is, is through metaphysics? No, I don't want to go along with the metaphysical uh, training. However, I will say that I understand one of our major corporations has picked up my other book and using the techniques that I'm using there for the development of this sort of thing. What are some of these techniques? Well, one of it is a matter of cleansing the aura, another is bringing in the various cars and other things uh, out of the bulwark against the invasion of the pollution that we take into our uh, every day. What kind of pollution? Well, the pollution, pollution caused from a lot of areas and a lot of mass and all sorts of things we know to see. That looks like, and uh, uh, we probably would find the answer to all these. When you were teleportically on, uh, that may be a new word I just made up, on the uh, surface of Venus, do you remember passing through anything? Or do you remember how you got there or anything? Yes, so it seemed to be, it was vibrational. In other words, uh, uh, I went through, seemed to go through strata after strata of color, and there seemed to be a contractual state that finally ended in what I called uh, the merger of time and space, a complete merger of time and space in an absolute. How, do you, how, how, how does this happen, the merger of time? Well, it's just, uh, there's no way I can describe it in words. We have no words to describe it. That is one thing I believe we're going to have to have in order to be able to speak this new language. There's a set of words to describe what we're talking about. And one way I can describe it is in feelings, and there are no words to describe those feelings. Something like timelessness. Okay. Uh, and I can deny this question about uh, were these colors in our spectrum. Uh, you said they weren't. I, I don't say they were not. I say that they are live colors. They are intensified colors and colors such as we do not see coming out of a dye pot. Out of a what? Well, something is our earth products of dye. Oh, oh, a dye pot. Oh, I thought you said dye pot. <laughs> uh, I think that uh, had a very interesting half hour here with Miss Dana Howard. Uh, Miss Howard, let me just ask you a last couple of questions. Do you think that we're going to have some kind of a breakthrough as far as contact with 
How could I believe anything I didn't see? In the winter months uh, of 1950, I saw my first flying saucer over the southern Lancaster County. This object that I saw in the, in the heavens about 12 o'clock again, that midnight, yes, midnight, <clears throat> went through movement that I had never seen or experienced before. Could you describe the movement, please? It, uh, at first, I, I, I was trying to justify in my mind. I had got some quite a, uh, quite a problem. Why so many people were, were trying to prove to the world the reality of the final factor? I was out looking for them. And in looking for them, I did see this object coming down overhead, growing quite large, quite fast. And it uh, grew to the size of what I would estimate that of a half bushel basket. There it hovered. And while it was hanging there, as though hanging from a string in the heavens, it went through some of the most fantastic color combinations that I had ever seen in my life. Calvin, have you read in the newspapers during the past, I think it broke on Wednesday or Thursday, this week, that uh, the government announced that they have developed a saucer-shaped craft. And it does just about everything that I've ever heard any contactee describe. It goes up rapidly, it lands rapidly, it hovers, it can go in between mountains and valleys. The, act, the activity of it is absolutely remarkable. Are you familiar with these articles? They appear in the paper in the last couple of days. I certainly am. And if you read that article in its entirety, you will find that this saucer that our Air Force is developing has not even been tested. So how do they know what it will be? All right. That's a pretty good question. I thought I was going to ask the question, and you were going to give the answer. If you switch it on me, I'm happy for the opportunity to answer one. Uh, I don't believe everything that I read, and I'm certainly not going to pass judgment on the government. I think they know what they're doing. Sometimes I disagree with them. They don't contact me personally and ask me my opinion, though. But I was just wondering if it isn't possible, Calvin, that they're not talking about something they may know, but they may be releasing information just a small amount at a time about something that they built three, four, five, or six, or even seven years ago, and something that they've been testing for years. And maybe a few of the people, you take a Howard Menger, let's even toss in a Dan Fry, and a couple of people like that. Maybe. These people actually had an experience, as they described. This is important to bear in mind, please. If a saucer, a saucer-shaped craft, accidentally landed on Howard Menger's farm in Highbridge, New Jersey, and he went out as the crew, 
with getting out of their saucer shaped craft, and they did not want to acknowledge the fact or to tell Howard Menger that this was uh, a craft that was specially designed by our government and that sometimes not from another planet. Well, now, it wouldn't be hard to believe for any intelligent person to have confidence in these men. First of all, we've never seen anything like that before. Never anything landing up close. And maybe to throw this completely to one side, some people have not understood that our government is working on something like this. That they passed the story around that we're the missing or marking, and that they will never admit it, and all of a sudden, we now hear the story that they are going to build a craft that will do all of these things. I have a, a sneaky idea that maybe they built them a long time ago and they've been testing, and now they have it tested. They believe that they have something that will do all of these things, they know it, and now they're going to release it piecemeal. Is that possible, sir? Those are your opinions, John Yes, strictly my opinions. I, I don't know. I admit that, too. Well, well, I'll tell you, uh, John, I have been in market development uh, in a small way for the past two and a half years. In uh -huh. those two and a half years, we developed a rocket motor. When four of them are put together into a cluster, we have with a uh, set of and now the power, and then the power is quite a bit of stuff. Mm -hmm. During the month of February, in the year 1969, this motor was completed. The Air Force bought it. This motor cost millions, if not billions, of dollars in its development from its, from its, from its very beginning until its very end. You know what our Air Force did with it, they put it on the shelf, it's obsolete. Well, it's all right, I'll go along with that. Is it true, Calvin, that you've been contacted by the mission? I would, would make a statement, yes. Is that a qualified yes? It is. Why is it qualified? Because it is qualified within my own mind, and to me only. Oh, uh, what was you? You are too too sure that no. this actually occurred. I mean, I am quite sure it, it happened to me. Mm -hmm. Did you care to describe it? Tell us something about this experience. <clears throat> this is quite an interesting thing. That uh, it took place back in 1952. Starting on July 4th of 1952, I went to bed quite early one evening on that particular evening. My own long and I found it a little difficult to fall asleep, and finally I just dozed off. And when I did, I had a very peculiar dream. Now, I'm not trying to act. I'm not asking anybody to accept this as anything other than a dream. Well, even in a dream, going back into the armed forces after spending four years in the army was asking quite a bit. 
I think I even revolted in a dream. Or show signs of, 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 of just forgetting it, should I say. And he said it in this dream, if I would ask, that I would be contacted on a much, uh, or what we, might, what we might call a physical plan later on. And if I were to act, they would prefer if I would fly and join the Air Force. And if this would happen, I would find myself a very interesting surrounding in the coming years. Well, when I got awake uh, from uh, awakened and uh, this dream was uh, in my mind, I gave it quite a bit of thought. But of course, as I said before, going back into the into the armed forces was out of the question. Well, <clears throat> this happened as I stated, July 1952. He also stated in this dream that if I asked, my actions would be taken at a time when there would be a sign in the heavens. The sign would be a large number of saucers, what we were calling them, over a large city in the country that you live upon. Well, this happened, I believe it was around the 17th of July of 1952, the world. Saucers in large numbers over our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. By that time, I had almost forgotten the dream, but this brought it back quite fresh in my mind again. Perhaps this was coincidence. I tried to excuse it out of my mind as such. But then again in August, the exact date I do not know, but again in August, saucers and large numbers occurred over all its nation's capital. By the 15th of September of 1952, I was back in the armed forces. I was in Airman First Class on my way to Washington, D.C. for my first assignment. This assignment took me to Bowling Air Force Base, where I spent approximately six years, or six months, excuse me. <clears throat> After six months of duty at Bowling Field, I was asked to be interviewed for a position, and a position it really was, in the command post of our United States Air Force Headquarters in the Pentagon. It was in this area that I would be working for the next number of months at the, at the very most. On my way from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania to Washington, D.C. to report into Bowling Field, about 35 minutes, I would estimate, outside of Baltimore, Washington, uh, Baltimore, Maryland, I made physical contact with a flying saucer about a mile and a half off of Route 1, and there I met, in a very physical form, the man that I dreamed about several months before. Did he talk to you? No, certainly did. What did he say? I was, <clears throat> when I looked up into his face, I was quite surprised. Somewhat, uh, confused. What was the reason for the surprise? I believe it was the dreaming sequence. 
and he looked like an earth person. He most certainly did. Attired the same way? Uh, I didn't take any particular notice to his attire. That seemed to be of no importance. He, uh, gave a glance at me as, uh, to the... He didn't say anything, uh, but the, the look that he gave me, more or less, projected the question or the answer or whatever you care to call it. No, 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 Goodbye, and blessed be.